This morning we move on into this series of messages that I've been doing on how to, how to go to church, why we do the things that we do when we are here in church together. And we have, over the course of the summer now, looked at a number of those things, haven't we? We've talked about things like why and how we get called into worship, why we confess our sins, why we read the Bible, why we pray, and all of those things that we've looked at. We've looked at those things of not only a pattern that we do here in church, but something which molds and shapes us for who we are when we leave this place on a Sunday, when we go out and live our lives. So today we continue forward in that, and today talking about sacrament. This thing that we do in church called sacraments. We have two of them that we do here in this church, baptism and communion, and today, yep, wouldn't you know it, we're doing one of them. So communion will take place after the message today, but before we take that communion, let's spend a little bit of time talking about why it is that we do this in the first place, and what it means for us, and what we take away from that as we go from this place. So something about sacraments. Sacraments are... Can we admit it? A little bit odd? Weird? Well, I mean, if you've been in the church your whole life, maybe you've just gotten used to it, right? Every now and then we do this thing where where we put water on babies or on, on people who come to faith in this baptism. And every so often we do this thing where we eat this little piece of bread and drink this little cup of juice, this mini meal that we proclaim. And it's I mean, things like washing and eating are normal, regular habits within our day, but why do we do these little things in church? It seems a little bit unusual, strange. I think particularly for people who are new Christians, who come to faith and have no experience at all as a part of the church. I remember in Denver when we had new people who would come into the faith, and they were brand new to the church, and they never had any experience going to church ever before, that that this communion thing was just weird. What is this about? Why do you do this? In fact, Some of the earliest Christians, those first Christians back in the time of the apostles, the Roman Empire sometimes accused them of cannibalism because they had this strange religious ritual in which they claimed they were eating the body of Jesus and drinking the blood of Jesus, branded as cannibals. What an odd religious ritual that they're doing. And here we are, 2,000 years later, still doing this Ritual that we say connects to the body and the blood of Jesus. So what is this about? Why do we do this? To get into that today, I'm going to read a passage that comes from Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews 10, and it's 18 verses that I'm reading, a little bit longer than we usually look at on a Sunday morning. So as we go through this, it's printed in your bulletin order of worship. It'll be on the screen here, and and I'm going to... uh, Stop and give a little bit of commentary along the way so that you catch what's happening in this passage of Hebrews, okay? So, Hebrews 10, here we go, verse 1 starts with this. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. Otherwise, would they not have stopped being offered? This is a reference to the sacrifices of the Old Testament that the priests would do over and over again. 
For the worshipers would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins. It's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Those sacrifices of the Old Testament covered over the sins of the people, covered them, but did not take them away. He goes on in verse 5. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, and here's a quote from Psalm 40, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings you were not pleased. Then I said, here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, my God. They're quoting from Psalm 40. Now he breaks this down by two statements. First, he said, sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them, though they were offered in accordance with the law. And then he said, here I am. I have come to do your will. He sets aside the first in order to establish the second. And by that will, talking about the will of the Father there, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. He goes on. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. Talking about the things that the priest would do in the temple. But when this priest, talking now about Jesus, this priest, Jesus, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made a footstool. For by one sacrifice, he has, been made, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. The difference there between standing and sitting, that the priest stands because it's a symbol then of the work that's ongoing, it's never done, has to always be repeated. But then specifically the author says, but Jesus sat down saying, it's done. It's finished. The work is over completed the difference there in the passage and then continuing on verse 15 the holy spirit also testifies about this and here's a quote then from jeremiah 31 first he says this is the covenant i will make with them after that time says the lord i will put my law in their hearts and will write them on their minds then he adds their sins and lawless acts i will remember no more and where these have been forgiven Sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Sacraments then. How we take sacraments and what we do with sacraments and how that works within our lives. And what this has to do with, well, what I just read here today. So maybe as I went through this passage from Hebrews, maybe you're thinking right now, so... What does this have to do with sacrament? How does sacrament fit into this? We'll make that connection. We'll get to that. First, I want to talk a little bit about what we mean by sacraments, right? What is a sacrament, and how do we understand that, and how did that come to be? Well, uh, here I'll give a little nod towards the Heidelberg Catechism. 
So here's question 66 of the Heidelberg Catechism that asks about sacraments and says, what are sacraments? And the answer says this. Sacraments are visible, holy signs and seals. They were instituted by God so that by our use of them, he might make us understand more clearly the promise of the gospel and seal that promise. And this is God's gospel promise to grant us forgiveness of sins and eternal life by grace because of Christ's one sacrifice accomplished on the cross. Sacraments, then, as we talk about that. And I I mentioned we do two of them here, right? Baptism and communion. Communion, which maybe you've heard or know by different names. Sometimes it's called the Lord's Supper. Sometimes it's called the Eucharist. Those are things that we take then, as our catechism tells us, as things that God himself instituted. God is the one who said, hey, you, church, people who come after me, keep doing these things. And they point to grace. The grace that God has given through the sacrifice of Jesus. Those two things that we talk about with sacraments. And we see that in Scripture. We see how that comes, that both baptism and communion are things that Jesus himself instituted as something that we continue to do. That on that Last Supper event, right before Jesus was betrayed, that he, had, he celebrated the Passover meal with his disciples. And in that meal, he talked about a new covenant that was taking place. And he told them, do this in remembrance of me. And we see the pattern in the book of, of Acts and in the letters of Paul that the church did, in fact, keep doing this as a pattern. And we continue to do that as well. In baptism, when Jesus gave the Great Commission in Matthew 28, before he ascended back to heaven, he told his disciples, go preach the word and baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we see the example through Acts and through the letters of Paul that the church did, in fact, continue to do these things with baptism. So we find that instruction as something that Jesus said, keep doing this, and for 2,000 years, the church has done this, that we do these as something that Jesus told us to do. Sacraments. Yeah, it implies in the name, sacrament, that there's something sacred, sacred going on when we come and do these things together. Sacred in the sense of holiness, that there's something set apart by doing this, by what we do with sacraments, that we come before that in ways that God brings a certain amount of holiness through them. Today's passage talked about that, about the holiness that comes to us. But today's passage also talked about a connection, and that's where I want us to go to see what sacraments are happening. A connection from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Did you notice how in this passage from Hebrews that a couple different points there that the author of Hebrews quotes from the Old Testament and then applies that to Jesus in the New Testament. From Psalm 40 and from Jeremiah 31, and both of those things pulled forward and applied then to Jesus. That what is happening in the sacraments is we see something of a covenant promise that God made. And God made this covenant promise a long time ago to his people, the nation of Israel. And he carried that covenant forward and renewed and fulfilled that covenant in Jesus. A covenant that we call the covenant of grace. That's what these things are pointing towards. 
that is established in the Old Testament and it came forward into the New Testament, sacraments then are a connection to that covenant promise that God gives. In the Old Testament, that came through this system of sacrifices. Sacrifices that they would do over and over again. It would never be complete and would just cover over the sins of the people using bulls and goats and sheep. But in the New Testament, Jesus comes to do that, not just to cover over, but to take away. These animals of the Old Testament, you know, they didn't have a say in the matter. It's not like these animals came forward and said, yep, I will take the place of having the consequence for the sin of these people. Animals can't do that. It just covers it over. It's a reminder that they are sinful people. But Jesus, when Jesus comes, he volunteers. Jesus comes and says, I will step in and take their place. I will carry the consequences for their broken sin. He steps in and does that on his own, by his own choice, his own will, because of his love for us, his people. And so he not only just covers over sin, but he says, I'll take it. I will take their sin. And then Jesus, as one who himself is perfect and lives a perfect life, spotless before the Father, Jesus then takes the sin of us. And in that moment where he takes our sin, he exchanges it and he gives to us in its place his perfect righteousness. We see from this passage today that the author of Hebrews tells us this is a one-time deal. Jesus did this once And it's forever, for all time, for all those God calls to himself. That Jesus steps in to do that. These sacraments that we do then are a reminder of that connection. That connection that we have to God. That connection that takes place when Jesus on the cross takes our sin from us and gives us his righteousness in its place. That we are connected to that. Connected. Sacraments happen in worship, and there's something that we don't just hear about, don't just listen to, that it's not an idea or a theory that's out there, but but it's something that we participate in, that it becomes something that we do actively together. Like some of you during the during the pandemic year of 2020 there were graduations in my house and and because of that there were some things that we could not do at the time when my oldest daughter graduated from trinity college uh, we just got a diploma sent to us in the mail that's how that happened but this past spring in 2021 trinity college invited all of the 2020 graduates to come back and be a part of the graduation ceremony that took place there so we went we did that now It's not like there was a diploma that was still waiting to happen. It's not like she didn't have the degree already. I mean, what happened already took place. She already graduated. But there's just something a little bit different about that moment when it's the cap and the gown and and the tassel gets moved from one side. And you walk across the stage and the provost hands you that diploma. Something about participating in the event itself makes it more meaningful, more real, 
It's not just something that you are a passive recipient of, but you are a connected participant. It's different that way. Sacraments do that for us. Sacraments are that thing that comes to us in which God declares, you know what, you're not just a passive recipient of this. I mean, this isn't just something you hear about and know about and then believe in, but there is a place for you to actually physically connect with the grace of God by participating, by being connected to that. That's what sacraments do for us. That's what sacraments mean. It takes us from that place of just being the passive recipient to being the connected participant. That we, in some mysterious way here, participate in the grace of God. He doesn't just slap it on you as a label, but he says, come be a part of this. Come be a part of my grace, is what God says. You know, it's the difference of being maybe a spectator in the bleachers or an athlete on the field. It's funny how spectators in the bleachers still talk about it like they're a part of it, right? Our team won today. We played a good game today. No, we didn't. You weren't in the game. You were sitting in the bleachers. But we sort of feel that ownership of it. But it's another thing entirely when the athletes who actually do play in the game experience that, isn't it? That's a whole other level. To participate within the event itself. Sacraments bring us to that. That you're not just watching it happen but you get a place to step in and experience how grace happens within that. We are connected to God's grace through sacrament. How does that happen? What does that look like for us? Here's where I'm going to talk a little bit about grammar. Yeah, I know, school is starting up again. Do we have to talk about school stuff already? Some grammar that takes place in this passage, all right? So I'm going to point out a few things, particularly about how holiness comes about through the sacrament, and see what the author here of Hebrews has to say about it, all right? First of all, verse 10. In verse 10, he talks about it this way. He says, And by that will, talking about the will of the Father, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Have been made That comes to us as what in the English language we would talk about as being past tense. It's a verb. You know what verbs are. Verbs are words that describe action. And in the English language, we describe that in in a couple different ways, right? There's past tense, present tense, future tense, right? Past tense, yesterday I walked in the park, present tense, today I walk in the park. Future tense, tomorrow I will walk in the park, right? You understand how those things work. And this one here talks about holiness as it's past tense. It's already happened. We have been made holy. It's already done. I'm going to stretch our grammar a little bit further here. There's one more tense that we have in English to talk about. A tense that we call imperfect. Not imperfect because it's wrong, but imperfect because it's not done yet. In English, we usually identify that because it's a verb that has an ing ending. I'll use my same example sentence, right? I am walking in the park. Am walking. It's ongoing, it's still happening, and it's not done yet. It's still taking place, but it's not complete. It's not finished. 
Jump ahead a few verses with me. Now to verse 14. Look at what it says here. For by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Imperfect. It's still happening. It's ongoing. It's not done yet. Uh, Well, hang on. Wait a minute. A few verses back in verse 10, it was done. It was complete. It was over. Now, here a few verses later, not done yet. Still happening. Still going. How does this work? So how does holiness come to us? Is it done? Is it complete? Is it over? Or is it still taking place? Is it still unfolding? Is it still ongoing? Which one is it? The answer is both. Both of these things are happening because, well, here's where I may have to stretch the grammar a little bit further. In the Greek language, there's another verb tense that we don't have in English, a verb tense called the perfect tense, a verb in which the action is done, it's over, it's complete, it's already happened, but the effects of that action are still ongoing, still taking place, still happening. It's done, but it's still going. Both of those things at the same time. We don't have that in English. There's no way to say it. But Greek does. That's what's happening in this passage, and they couldn't put it into English because we don't have the English to express it. Perfect tense. It's done. It's complete. It's happened. It's been made perfect. But the effect of that action is still happening, still ongoing, still taking place even though it's been completed. That's the way that this passage talks about holiness. Holiness that comes through the sacrifice of Jesus. That holiness that we approach then when we come to sacraments is a holiness that comes to us in ways in which God declares, you know what, what Jesus did on the cross, it's over. It's done. It's complete. That holiness is now secured forever to each one of us by the Holy Spirit. We have received it. But the effects of that holiness continue, are ongoing, still happen. That we still walk that road of holiness, even though the impact of it has been made complete by what Jesus has done. So we come before God in that way, in a way where we declare our holiness has already been made complete through the sacrifice of Jesus. But the effects of that holiness continue to be ongoing into the present. Sacraments bring us to that. That's what sacraments remind us of. That we remember through these sacraments what Jesus has done for us once and for all to make us his own. But we live in a way connected to that grace where that holiness that's brought to us by that is still ongoing, is still taking place, is still happening, is still forming and shaping who we are and in how we live. That we are forever a part of God's family by his grace. And the effect of that grace continues to unfold, continues to take place continues to happen. So we do that here in this place as a glimpse, don't we? A glimpse of the grace of God which comes to us and connects us to him. 
But we do that here as something which then also propels us from this place. That the connection that we have to the grace of God that we do here in church with sacraments is a glimpse of that ongoing holiness that we take from this place as well. That we are people who have been made holy and perfect by God through Jesus. And we go into a world then in which the effects of that holiness continue to form and to shape who it is and in how we live. Not just in this place, but when we leave this place and go into our world around us, that we see and catch those glimpses of holiness already made perfect, already made complete, but the effects of which continue to form and shape us and in who we are and in how we live and in who God has called us to be. We thank him for that as we approach this table. We approach this table then knowing that God has done everything necessary to bring us as one of his own and connects us to him in ways in which that perfect holiness to us continues to form and shape who we are and in how we live in this day, in this sacrament, in this place, and going forward as we leave this place as well. Would you pray with me? Let's pray. God, we thank you for the gift of your word and how we see in your word the way that you have come to make us holy. Lord, we acknowledge that in the sacrifice of your son, that you have done this in ways in which it's already been made complete, already taken place. It's already been made perfect. But Lord, 